So today we're going to start with reading together Acts 10, 1 through 33. Okay, this is a little bit longer passage than probably normal, but the reason that is is because this is a narrative story. And we need to kind of see from a little bit from the beginning, not exactly to the exact end, but a good part of this, okay, to kind of know what we're getting into when we talk about today's topic. Okay, so Acts 10, 1 through 33, all right? So open your Bibles, open your phone, read along with me. And this is, now when, we, when I read this, listen for the characters, listen for the interaction between them, and particularly listen for how the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, interact and coordinate and bring this story together, okay? So let's read this, Acts 10, 1. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror, and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now... Send to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one named Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. Now, when the angel had spoke to him and had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier among those who attended him. And having relayed everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, the next day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being, uh, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had just seen might mean, behold, two men, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and they called out, asking whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, is well spoken by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel, to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. He invited them in to be his guest. The next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. 
But Peter lifted it up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any other nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago at this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. This is the reading of the word. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you, and we come asking that you would open our minds and hearts and ears to this passage, to this scenario that happened thousands of years ago between the lives of many people, a very specific point, but a specific point which has meaning and teaching and purpose for us today. Lord, enable that by the power of the Spirit of us together as a group today in, this, in these few minutes that we have together. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I want to kind of bring you guys into Lisa and I's life. Now, the reason we've been away for three years in a little bit more detail without getting too specific is that we live in the Middle East. We work as church planters. There's another word for that that I don't like to use because if I use that word and that word gets out, we don't stay very long in the Middle East. So, And what that means is we do our life, our work, we use our profession there, but purposefully for, the, for being with Arab Sunni Muslims, relating about the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus in Arabic in order to see these men and women who are now Muslims come to know Christ, gather and have the kingdom of the living God expand in the Middle East. So we've been doing that for about 20 years. So that's a little bit about us. But what does that mean, and what does that look like, and how does it apply to Acts 10? So we bring you into the day of life of an Arab refugee woman. So let me introduce you to her. Her name is Ilham. Ilham is, she is a wife, she's a mother, she's 20-somethings, She's tall, she's lean, she's very dark, she's very nice. She's a genocide survivor. She comes from Sudan. She lived in Darfur. Okay? And we got to know her, well, really, Lisa really got to know her through an Arab refugee clinic, which Lisa runs in the capital of the city, in the country that we live in, who services refugee populations. Okay? So she came in, why? For prenatal checks. So Lisa and them got to know her before... Her birth came. So then as the time came, she had her baby. And then after that, Lisa and another overseas working doctor went to kind of have a post, a newborn baby check and visit. Um, And so they went, and they brought a baby blanket with them as a gift. Gifts are very normal in the Middle East. Every time you go to a visit, you bring a gift. You receive a gift. It's gift-giving. 
So, uh, so a baby blanket, very appropriate, very normal for this kind of thing. Well, Lisa and this other doctor, they give this blanket to, to Ahlam, and Ahlam starts to just start weeping. And obviously, Lisa and the other doctor are thinking, this is, you know, there's some postpartum kind of going on here. Let's ask some questions around this. So they're asking, and Ahlam says, no, 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 that's not the reason I'm crying. Can I tell you a little bit of my story? And she says, years ago, in my teens, we were living in Darfur. The rebels came in, and right in front of me and my younger brother, the rebels came in, slaughtered my father, slaughtered the rest of my, of my brothers. My mother came in quickly, grabbed our hands, and we just ran. We ran for literally the hills in Darfur, got out of our village, headed up there, and we were there at night. Her younger brother, her, her mother, found some shelter, Hungry, scared, not knowing what was going to happen next. Cold in the mountain at night. And during that night, this gentleman, an old Sudanese man, dark black Sudanese man, but they said he had this big white beard, you know, just like standing out white beard. And he comes up and he says, I saw you guys passing through. I know what's happened. I brought you a blanket. And I give this blanket to you in the name of Jesus. And they take the blanket, and Ahlam said, it's the first time I've heard this name Jesus. Didn't know what it meant, and uh, so we took the blanket. Now, right after that, days later, they kind of walk through the desert. They get down to the capital of Sudan. They get registered as UN refugees. They live in a camp, a UN refugee camp in, 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 in the capital city. And, they, uh, and there she meets her husband. They get married. Um, and then it comes their time to relocate from Sudan to another Middle Eastern country, which is where we live. If you want to know more about where that is specifically, I'll tell you in the back. Um, so they come. That's when she starts to come to this clinic, which Lisa's working at. And so then she says, but listen what happened. The first night we got into our country, they came in February. Now, you would think the Middle East is warm and hot all the time. No, in the winter... The Middle East is cold. It snows. Put down two feet this past year of snow. And the buildings are built out of center block. The UN gave them a one-room, non-furnished apartment that is center block. It holds the damp. It holds cold. There's no central heating. There's no space heating. They got in there, just clothes on their back, except for one kind of space rug on the floor, and they were freezing. And they said they rolled, they kind of got together, and then they kind of rolled up in that blanket just to stay warm. But later that night, a knock comes on the door. And the knock comes up, and they open the door, and here's this Arab nun. And all she does is say, here's a blanket. I hope it can help in the name of Jesus. And so that night, we use that blanket again, but there's that name again. In the name of Jesus. And now you guys are here helping me pre-birth, through my birth, after my birth, and you've brought me another blanket and you bring it to me in the name of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Who is this guy who keeps kind of coming and bringing and dealing with my life and my family situations in the most critical points of need? Who is this guy? And obviously what that does is it opens opportunity for Lisa and others to have continual relationship with this lady and her family, introducing Jesus, getting into scriptures. Now, I bring that story because that is one story of one refugee in the Middle East. 
And I say that because it doesn't matter where you're coming from. If you hear that story from her, you can't pass the steps into coincidence or happenstance or this. There is a, there is a thread of divine orchestration across countries, across conflicts, multiple people, needs, and around the name of Jesus. So what's our topic today? Our topic today is Missio Dei, the mission of God, the mission of God. Have you ever really just kind of considered and asked the question that what is, what is the overall purpose, the aim, the pursuit of God as we see in Scripture? What is that overall purpose? What is included in the mission of God? Well, as us, as a congregation like us here, who is kind of, we, we believe that, one, the Bible is wholly inspired. It is, it is God's revealed message. Any question about the mission of God, it has to have a focus on and coming from a post-resurrection of Christ. Any answer you state there has to have an idea that it is, it comes from and through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So let me, let me give you a quick definition of some people who work with Scripture all the time about the mission of God. There's a group called Wycliffe Translators. If you don't know about Wycliffe Translators, they are the largest organization in the world, which their whole purpose is to translate the Scriptures into every linguistic language in the world. And they've been doing it for about almost a century now. Okay? Here's a definition of what they say the, missi- the Missio Dei is about. And they say this. They say, Missio Dei is first and foremost God's mission. The church does not have a mission of its own, but rather the primary emphasis is on what God is doing for the redemption of the world. Therefore, consideration is how the church participates in the God's redeeming mission. So the mission of God, as we think about it, guys, number one, the first statement is really interesting. The mission, Missio Dei, is first and foremost God's vision. It it initiates from God himself, his character, his desires, who he is. He is the one who determines the objective of it and the means of it. Though we really take a lot from enabled teachers, the mission of God is is not defined by Calvin. It's not defined by Piper. It's not defined by any worker like myself. It is wholly defined through God's revelation that we have here in Scripture. It initiates from him. It actually, this is a part of his fatherhood, actually, and what we're going to see here in, in, in 10. The other thing is that the church does actually not have its own mission, but it is actually under the whole mission of God as we see here, and that is Though we are an enabled group right here, we're not autonomous. We don't get to define or say this is the mission of God. Nor did the early church in the beginning have that. The church is under that of which God has stated and not separate. But the third thing they say here is that it focuses on the primary emphasis is on what God is doing for the redemption of the world. Redemption. The redemption of human beings. The releasing of people through the payment of a price. The liberating 
the freeing, the reconciling action of the living God for humans in different times of history, in current, in the future, in the Middle East, in Asia, in North America, the releasing of human beings, the mission of God. So that, and it started from Adam and Eve when the prophecy was given that, that this, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the snake to the, to the, to the, the pulling out of Abraham to the exodus through Moses, to the creation of Israel, up into the incarnation of Jesus. For the purpose where Paul could say and summarize this is that, for when the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might have the adoption as sons. And with that incarnation, that incarnation and the coming of Jesus and his living for the, for the whole purpose of death and resurrection, so that then Paul could summarize again and say in, in Timothy, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires for all men to be saved and have a knowledge of the truth. The mission of God is all about the progressive revelation for the purpose of bringing men and women into relationship with him. So how do we see this in Acts 10? Acts 10 is a fabulous example of this. We meet Cornelius. He's not a Jewish man. He's like us, unless some of us are Jewish here. He's a Gentile military officer Roman, yet... He is a spiritual man. He prays. He gives donations. He helps the poor. He's known. He's kind. We also see Peter at the same time. Sorry. Yes, Peter. We see Peter. He's about 40 miles south. They're on the coast of Israel. And he's down there teaching. He's down there creating miracles. He's down there helping. But at, the sa- but at this time, Cornelius has a vision of an angel that says, go and send and get Peter up to you. Bring him up here. So he does. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit is preparing Peter for this coming interaction. Because if he doesn't prepare Peter, Peter's going to say no. Because this is a house, this is a person, this is a people that Peter would not enter into at that moment in time. So the Holy Spirit sends this vision, and there's great teaching in detail. We're not going to go into this vision. But the point is, at the end, Peter says, I have no reservations. I will go, and I will not have any question. And so he goes to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius, he enters, and Peter explains, this is what happened. This is why I'm here. This is why I said yes. Cornelius responds and says, well, this is how... This is how the angel came and told me to do what to do, and now you're here. And it ends with an amazing statement in 33 from Cornelius to Peter. Cornelius says, now then, let me read from here. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius is saying, we're here. What do you got to tell us? We've been told you got something for us. And what we didn't read because of time is 
The remainder of the story, which is basically then Peter goes through the life, the death, the resurrection, the purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. And when Cornelius hears that and his family hears that, their eyes are opened. Salvation comes. Life change comes. Peter orders them to be baptized, and actually Peter stays with them and starts discipling them in what it is to walk with Jesus. So now, how does that display Missio Dei? How does that display the mission of God? Well, it does very quickly because of the parts and the people that are there. Well, number one, we have Cornelius and his family. Cornelius and family end up being a sign of humans who, who are longing for God, their creator. Yet they don't have the whole picture. They don't have the specific knowledge of the revelation of the life and death of Jesus. They know, the God, they know God exists. They want to know him. They don't know the means and the method from the revealed scripture of how God is bringing life, liberty, reconciliation. They have a need. They don't have enough yet. Then you have the triune God. The Holy Spirit sends an angel gives orders to Cornelius. At the same time, he's bringing a vision to Peter. And he's getting Peter ready to accept for what something new that God is doing. And then Peter goes. And Peter is the church, the believers, us. It's very interesting that the angel did not tell Cornelius all the details of the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. But it was Peter. Peter was sent. Peter was asked the question. And then Peter explained. And then once that was done, then the triune God, through the completed work of Jesus, applies salvation. Opens their eyes. They believe and life is changed. This is Missio Dei. Guys, realize this. This whole story... God's whole intent, this is a picture, this is a micro picture into God the Father saying there is one family in Caesarea at this time of history who doesn't know enough to be with me for eternity. I am going to make sure they get the full story. And he arranges the situation for one family to come to know him. This is Missio Dei, the mission of God. So, with that, I want to ask you a question. Does that just happen in the scripture? Does that just happen 2,000 years ago? Is Missio Dei active and alive today? Is it active and alive? Many times we can ask that question, we can say, yeah, it is active and alive. But the harder question, too, is, is it active and alive for people that are different from us? Do I believe? I believe it's active for somebody like me, but is it active for other people that are different than me? Let me pose some hard scenarios. Is that, is it active and live for the rock-throwing, but not rock-throwing now, they're rocket-launching Palestinian Hamas members? Is it active and live for the for the Iran-backed Hezbollah, Southern Lebanese, Shiite Muslims? Is it active 
for the ex- exorbitantly wealthy Kuwaitis, Qataris, Saudis, Emiratis? Is it active for the artistic, creative, 20-somethings in middle of Beirut who are living an LGBT lifestyle? Is it active for them? Is there purposeful arrangement and intervention by the living God to bring them? Those aren't probably the people you think about all the time. But the question is, is it active for them? Two responses that we have is, number one, just demographically, it better because, you know why? One out of four people in the world today are Muslim. They fit into these categories. And if the, if the desire and the will of God is for all men to be saved, except for that, we're talking billions of excluded people. The other thing, the other reason is because Ahlam would say yes. A Sudanese refugee, she'd say yes. And let me tell you some other stories about how this plays out. With Arabs, with Muslims, Sunnis and Shiites. A few years ago, we were um, living down south in the country we live, down on the Red Sea. And there was a family who had been, they'd been interacting with other workers like ourselves. They'd come to know Christ over time. Uh, a, a, a couple and their kids. Now, but this, this, one co- this one lady who has come to know the Lord, she has a sister. Her sister really wasn't showing interest, and she had, but she had heard a little bit about the gospel, seen her sister's life and her brother-in-law. But um, suddenly she came to her sister and was like, I'm having this dream that is really disturbing me. I don't know what it means, and I'm actually getting a little scared because it's repeating. And so she tells her sister, but then her sister comes and tells Lisa and some of the other ladies who were, were in the town there, and they, and they say, well, basically, can we come visit her and just talk to her about this dream? So they go, and they say, so we understand there's a dream that's really kind of disturbing you. And she says, yes. She says, I keep every night I'm sleeping, and I see this man. He's walking down a path here, down in the desert, kind of nearby where we are here, and he's got this pouch, and he pulls, the, he pulls some things out of the pouch, and he throws these seeds out, and some of take it out then some of them over here grow up and then the sun just like bakes them and then over here some stuff grows up around it and pulls it down and then a little bit takes over here and Elisa and the other ladies say well can can we just read something to you so what do they do they pull out Matthew 13 and they read they say is this your dream and she says yeah this is my dream do you know who told this story originally? No? Jesus, the Christ. El Messiah in Arabic. And uh, do you know why he told this? No. He said because he is asking all of humanity to ask themselves, what is the nature of your heart? What is your position before the living God? What do you want? And we're asked the question of which soil are we? And he's asking you a question. Intervention of the living God. A dream and then spokespeople coming to give information. Down south in the country living, down by the Red Sea.
Do you know your ge geography? All right. Another one. What about not another tall, lean, very dark black man? A Somali. What are Somalis known as? Pirates, piracy, all kinds of rough stuff. Somali, refugee, in the country we live in. Also a recipient of the medical, um, medical services at the clinic. When COVID hit, all of the kind of the inpatient um, services had to stop. But there were so many refugees who didn't have any sources of medicines that they were able to create a distribution system for monthly medicines to and delivery in order to continue. Okay? So this day, this, there's some medicine needs to go to this gentleman. I'll call him Abu Zaid. And Abu Zaid needed his medicine. So Lisa was asked really quick on the spot, can you go over to Abu Zaid's one little apartment and can you provide this to him? So she goes and uh, you got to understand these guys live in one bedroom, small places. And they've got families of five, six, eight in like one bedroom places. So actually, if you're going to get a little time to yourself, you got to kind of go outside. And there's these public stairs up and down these hills where we live. Um, and so Lisa's walking down the stairs and sees Abu Zaid sitting there. And just normally kind of comes up to him and says, Abu Zaid, here's your medicine for the month in the name. And we bless you in the name of Jesus. And he kind of looks up at her with like deer in the headlight eyes. And he's like, do you know, just now, I was sitting here inside of myself saying, God, do you know what is the situation of my family? You know we don't have enough food. You know how we're living here. You know how long we've been. We don't know if we're going anywhere else. We can't go back. Do you care? And then you come in the name of Jesus and you give me my medicine. Now, Lisa couldn't have tried to orchestrate that if she tried. Mission of God, Missio Dei, relating. Now, Abu Zaid and his family have been in scripture studies. Uh, I believe his wife has come to know the Lord, and that's continuing. Truth. Other, other ways, let me just tell you one other, one other way of a very tangible how the Lord is caring for these types of people and enabling. During COVID, we noticed that the nutrition was, going, was becoming very critical for these refugees um, because they're day laborers. There was no more work. So we kind of set up a, a small kind of, for 50 families, three months, uh, some coupon-based project so that they could go to local vendors and get fruits and vegetables for nutrition. $5,000, $6,000 kind of thing could hold 50 families for three months. Without really any major promotion or discussion, we saw quickly that this program popped up to more than like sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 of provision. That has continued until today, and it has serviced and enabled about 165 refugee families with about 400 to 500 actually beneficiaries that go around with that. Not because of us, because of the intervention of Missio Dei, of God providing and enabling us to be in homes for the transmission of the information of the gospel. So, is Missio Dei active? Abu Zaid would say yes. Ilham would say yes. The sister down south would say yes. All of the families who have had fruits and vegetables provided would say yes. So I am bound to say yes as well. Missio Dei continues. So now 
Lance, thanks for telling us about the Middle East, but how does that affect us in Wilmington today? How does that affect us? Well, it's very simple. If we go back to Acts 10, Peter is the view of the believers, of the church. Everyone in this room, myself, we are the church. So in this discussion, we are the ones who are mobilized. We are the ones that will be instructed. We are the ones who have the mouths that the Holy Spirit chooses to use, not the angel, to present the details of the life and the death of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Each one of us is a vital component. If you are a believer and you walk with Christ here today, you are a vital component of Missio Dei in Wilmington, in North Carolina. Lisa and I are vital components in the Middle East when we are there. The question is, do we have an awareness of that? Do we have an, an awareness that Missio Dei is active, the Holy Spirit is arranging, and we are the critical element and tool of that? And do we have it in a very practical way? Let me tell you how practically it became aware for me. When I was living down south, everybody has, and we have here, right, we have plumbing problems. Now, when I would, I would have one serviceman that always come over and help me, a plumber. But I would always make a little extra time when he got done to be able to drink a cup of tea or coffee with him and be like, hey, how's life going? It's a little bit harder here, I know, in the States, but that's, it's able to be, they're not so rushed to get out the door. Okay? After about a year and a half, I realized I'm slow on the uptake on things like this. I realized every time I had a plumbing problem, he had a spiritual crisis going on in his life. He had a suicide attempts. He had issues with his children. And every time, and, and things would happen weird. I would break things that I usually don't break that would need a plumber. And I would call him and be like, it's on the day off. I'm like, man, can you come help? He was like, I just had a dream. I woke up 30 minutes ago thinking that you were going to call me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. But I realized that my scenario in life was an integral part of Missio Dei. And even the challenges that I face, which bring me in connection with some other people, are more than just my inconveniences. They are actually and can be the intentional arrangement of the Holy Spirit for a moment in the life of who I'm with. Awareness, practical awareness. So if we choose to have that type of awareness, and if we want to have that thought and ask the Lord to help us to recognize those kind of scenarios, I promise you one thing. You will have and you will experience stories of the triune God arranging moments where you become a Peter to a modern-day Cornelius who is waiting to hear the message that you have to share. Missio Dei is at work. May we be ready and may we go forward in the name of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this time to look at the lives of a few people thousands of years ago. To know that such interventions, such coordinations in our role whether it's here in North America, 
across the seas, you are arranging and you long for humans to be reconciled, redeemed to you. You have completed the work in Jesus. That is done. Yet now, relaying that and people understanding that is all that is needed. And Lord, enable us, prepare us, and grow your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray.